Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. So, we dealt on Sunday morning two weeks ago, if you were here, with this issue of the, uns- the garment that's torn and the wineskins. And uh, that, again, as I said then, is the center of this passage. Now, now, the rest, what we didn't read, what follows this, this discussion of the Sabbath, is sort of part two of Mark's argument with respect to the wine and the wineskins. And part one is this issue of fasting. The question we want to ask is, what is the point and purpose of these things? What is this about fasting? Should we fast? How should we fast? What is it for? These are the questions of the sermon tonight. So what we want to recognize first and foremost is this realization that Jesus brings to us. That there's something about the ministry of Jesus that's not going to fit into the categories of the Old Covenant. That's not going to fit into the ways Israel was living their lives. It's not that Jesus teaches a brand new doctrine. It's sort of like uh, what John says in the epistle of 1 John. I give you a new command, but not a new command, an old command. Do you remember that passage? Some of you might. And that's confusing. What do you mean? How can it be new and not new? Old and Well, it, it's continuous with the Old Covenant. Jesus doesn't violate the principles of the Old Covenant. In many ways, everything he teaches us are is founded in the same place that the Old Covenant was founded. But the Old Covenant, the covenant of Moses, had categories which would not be able to contain the ministry of Jesus. It was old wineskins, and Jesus was teaching, was pouring out new wine. It's not a new covenant in the sense that it's brand new, but it is new in the sense that it's not going to work with the old. And so we have this teaching of wineskins. And so the two categories that are most affected by that early in Jesus' ministry are the two categories of fasting and of Sabbath. And we talked about the Sabbath. But here, I want to give you a quotation from Ben Witherington, who's one of the commentators I've been reading in preparation for Mark. And I find this paragraph to just be wonderfully illustrative of what I'm trying to say here. Holding on to the old or trying to sow the new onto or pour it into the old, just wouldn't work. Jesus had come to make all things new. The Pharisees had assumed that the way to hasten and prepare for the coming of the new age was through stricter adherence to the old covenant. They did not seem to see that the coming of the new age was a gift of God's grace, not a response by God to Israel's faithfulness. Fasting and all of those kinds of spiritual disciplines in the church need to become in the new covenant of Jesus authentic more than an augmentation. What God's looking for is authenticity more than augmentation. Let me define those terms. God is looking for these kinds of things to flow out of the spontaneous desires of our heart. He's not looking for us to do things that will augment our spiritual walks. 
He's not looking for us to make ourselves more holy by doing works of righteousness that will improve our spiritual selves. What he's looking for is an authentic pouring out of relationship with God, which will be the source of our spiritual improvement. We'll see if I can demonstrate that. So Jesus says, uh, when, when he's asked about fasting, we need to understand what was at stake for it for the Pharisees. And I'll do this as quickly as I can. But Israel obviously lost its nation and was judged and punished because they had failed to keep the Old Covenant. And the question of the Jewish people is, what can we do to get our relationship with God back again? Well, the hope of the Messiah loomed large there. But the Pharisees felt they had to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. That God was not going to send His King to restore Israel until the Israelite people repented of their sins and got serious about the law. And so they're trying to bring the Israelites back. And they think they can do that through law. And their understanding is, if we can demonstrate to God our faithfulness to the law, then God will see our repentance and He will forgive our sins. He will send us the Messiah and we will be a nation again. That sounds reasonable. And there are a couple of things that they emphasize. Sabbath was one of them, but the other was fasting. Now, fasting for the Hebrew people seems in Jesus' day to happen twice a week. But they did not in Israel do that for spiritual discipline. This was a fast of mourning. They wanted God to forgive them. This fast was to beg God for mercy. And so they were doing it twice a week, regularly. And the disciples of John the Baptist, according to our passage, did the same thing. They were fasting regularly, repenting, asking God to forgive them, longing for restoration. But Jesus comes up with this wonderful little saying when they ask Him, Why? Are you not fasting? And he says, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast when he's with them? Did you get the kind of the import there? Jesus is saying, God's answering your prayers. Quit the fast. I'm here. The kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is drawing near. When the people in Nineveh were told they were going to be destroyed, and they started to fast and appeal to God to save them, they didn't keep fasting after He forgave them. They threw a party. They had been forgiven. And so for Jesus, He asked just a very logical question, which is the most presumptuous thing He could have possibly said. Of course they're not fasting. I'm here. Now Jesus does say that there will be a time when His people will fast. And it seems in the Gospel of Mark that what he's predicting there is Good Friday, the day that he dies. And there will be a period of time between that and his resurrection from the dead where his people will indeed fast, for he has been taken from them. Now, what's at stake here are two things. First is that fasting for the Jewish people was not a means of spiritual improvement. It was a means of mourning before God and begging Him for something. That's what fasting was. Every time it's used in the First Testament, it's always used in that way. To avoid judgment, to avoid disaster, to beg God to change His mind. That's what fasting was. It was not a way to make me spiritually more pure. But one of the things that is incipient in our understanding of Christianity here in the West that we need to find a way to tease out is this idea that there is something bona fide spiritual about self-denial for the sake of self-denial. 
Marvin Wilson, in his book, Our Father Abraham, Jewish Roots of the Christian Faith, wrote this. Westerners, that's you and me, often define spirituality as denying oneself, being detached from earthly concerns, and being intent on otherworldly values. By contrast, the Hebrews experienced the world of the Spirit as robust, life-affirming, and this-worldly in character. Such was the spiritual orientation of the Hebrews. So-called spirituality did not come by negating the richness of life's experiences or withdrawing from the world. Instead, they affirmed the creation by finding a sense of holiness in the here and now. There was no division between the sacred and the secular areas of life. It was all God's world, and it was to be enjoyed without a sense of shame or guilt. In Paul's words, to the pure, all things are pure. That's Titus 1.15. As trustees and stewards of God's world, human beings were to live within it and to use it in accord with divine directives. There is no spiritual benefit that I can see from the teachings of the apostles in simply denying ourselves for the sake of denying ourselves. Somehow that comes from this mentality that the flesh is inherently evil. That your fleshly desires are inherently evil. That there's somehow, this is a very Greek idea, a purified soul that has been stuck in this body purely to see if it could deny its lusts and its passions. That somehow the body in and of itself is sin. That just to be in the flesh is sinful. But that is not the perspective of the Hebrews. And fasting had nothing to do with that in the history of Israel. This idea that somehow the most spiritual people in the world never give in to that hunger for pleasure. Never. Never. Not for a minute. You eat because you have to, but as little as you must. This is the Greeks. That the perfect, pure person has their mind only on otherworldly concerns and never gets bogged down in the flesh. That is so contrary to the teachings of Scripture. God created this world and He called it good. And it has been corrupted by sin. But it is not essentially sinful to be human. The Hebrew people embrace the reality of life and expect to live out their spirituality through their flesh, not in spite of their flesh. But what we discover for Jesus is something that his audience would have known, and that is that fasting, self-denial for the sake of self-denial, is not a way of spiritually improving ourselves. And so what I want to say is it's not, Jesus does say that if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But let me tell you my fear, and this is where I'll end. My fear is that we have our eye on the wrong thing and therefore we're not living the way God wants us to. Jesus tells us we must deny ourselves, but we get caught up on these peripheral, unimportant things thinking we're living out Jesus' command. Oh, he means I shouldn't eat chocolate for 40 days during Lent. I'm denying myself. That's great. But the self-denial Jesus requires is a thoroughgoing life commitment to live our lives for the sake of others, the love of God and the love of others. That's the denial He wants. Not that you not eat chocolate or that you give up soda. And if you do do that, many of us think, well, I don't do that because I... but it's going to build me spiritually. Colossians actually says, Paul actually says, it will not build you spiritually. As a matter of fact, to quote Paul, it has no value in restraining sinful indulgence. We cannot extinguish the sinful nature purely through denying 
the flesh. The flesh must be sanctified. The self-denial that God requires is not the denial of legitimate carnal pleasures. The self-denial God requires is the denial of our autonomy, our self-obsession, our self-centeredness. And we are to practice that not through temporarily giving periods of time to God, but through our submission to Jesus and our love of our neighbors. He's told us what is good. So here the question remains, what is fasting for then in the new covenant of Jesus? It's for the same thing it was in the old covenant of Moses. It's an earnest way of prostrating ourselves before God to ask Him for things. But we do not fast because denying the flesh has some value. God is not opposed to your enjoyment. He's opposed to your enjoyment if it sacrifices the good of another. He's opposed to your pleasure if it harms another, if it harms yourself, if it lives outside of the boundaries He's set. But within the boundaries God has set, creation is good. And there is spiritual benefit to enjoying the pleasures that are legitimate in God's economy for us to enjoy. 